All right, so thanks for coming. <laughs> we're, uh, we'll be uh, picking up in our study in Genesis, and uh, the the title of the series, as uh, you know, is God and Man. And uh, I can't. I don't know if I can concentrate like this. What? All right. Now we're set. Okay. So Genesis, God and Man. You know that as we're going to go through Genesis, we're going to look at God. And we're going to look at God's relationship with man, man's uh, reactions and response to God. But last week we talked about Genesis being the origin or mode of formation or something. You know, Genesis tells about how everything came to be. But I think that it does so in a way that's relevant to man from God's perspective. From God's perspective. You know, there's a lot of things that we think we need to know or we think we should know or think are important to know, but they're not always that important. And I think that God shows us what it is important uh, as opposed to, uh, or as in relation to our relationship with him and our need for him and, and really who he is. Um, and, uh, you know, he's the creator. But I think that's important to read Genesis uh, as it is, that it's a truthful telling of God uh, for what man needs to know. You know, anything we need to know about the beginning is right here. You know, we can obviously dig into other things and, and have deeper studies and, use scientific methods to search things out. But at the end of the day, none of that is really uh, relevant. If we don't know that at the end of the day, it's not a big deal. But, um, you know, if we go through our lives not knowing what Genesis says, not knowing what God says in Genesis, that's a big deal. You know, but Genesis talks about the beginning of time and creation uh, before man and the creation of man. It talks about the beginning of man, the origin of sin. But it also lays the groundwork for God's way out of the way, uh, God's way out of the sin that we got ourselves into. Um, and it, it, it does so, it shows the setting up of Israel, it shows setting up of uh, God's promises to everybody. Um, but it does that uh, through a lot of things. But it lays the groundwork where this is God, this is creation, and this is sin. Uh, but we, we mentioned last time, you know, what is the fruit of what you believe? You know, everything that we believe has a fruit that comes out of it. Uh, you know, if you believe that the person is supposed to be your spouse, fruit comes out of that. You get married. If you don't, well, you don't get married, hopefully. Um, we looked at Job. We looked at first fruits. We saw that the word for God, Elohim, was a plural word, a plural singular word um, here. Um, you know, and uh, in the beginning, we saw that, that there was God and no other. Uh, we know the Trinity. We saw that if he was not good, he would not create. You know, um, evil people tend to destroy and good people uh, tend to create. And good things create and evil things destroy. Um, you know, and I think it's important as we go through this, we don't miss what God is saying to us. That's That would be a big blunder to, to miss what God is saying to us through the account of creation and through the accounts of uh, God's interaction with man in Genesis. You know, if we're going to read the Bible, we should come to it with the mindset that, man, God wants to speak to me through something like this. You know, this is... God's revealed word, but in that, he wants a personal relationship with man. If he didn't, we wouldn't have the opportunity to, right? Uh, But Genesis, uh, the title of tonight's message in Genesis 1 verse 2 is God said, God said. Uh, But Lord, we thank you again for your word. We pray that you would speak to us and uh, that we would hear from you, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll start again um, from verse 1. Uh, the depth of what we covered last week. And uh, we'll hopefully get through, I want to get through the whole chapter tonight. Um, 
uh, just want to make sure that I'm not going to go too far ahead of my notes. Okay, so let's just read um, verse 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And uh, we'll stop there. Um, and the, the first, you know, probably three-quarters of the message will be a little bit slower, and then we're going to cover a lot, uh, hopefully a little bit more quickly. Um, but it says, uh, and God said, and, and it said that uh, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And again, just thinking, you know, I believe that God is telling uh, the creation of the universe here as opposed to heaven, the spiritual uh, realm. You know, as the things of this uh, earth and this world are the things that we can relate to. You know, we are made of this world. We're dirt. Um, but the things in heaven are solely revealed throughout Scripture. God reveals physical creation here. And the rest of Scripture uh, all details God's salvation plan. And all uh, through the prophets and through Scriptures and through Jesus and through Revelation, we see heaven slowly being revealed, um, uh, which is a little bit different. Um and the things in, uh, yeah, sorry, I said, but Paul, Paul says we see dimly, like through tinted glass, that, you know, we see a little bit of heaven now, we kind of get a glimpse of it. We talk about how when uh, the New Testament speaks of someone going to heaven that one time, you know, I believe it's Paul, uh, they says it would be unlawful to speak of those things. So I don't think, I don't think that God has given us a picture of the spiritual realm here so much as, as really uh, God creating the physical world. Um, you know, again, I'm no scholar. Maybe there's more to it than that, but that's from the, my simple reading. That's what I'm getting. But it says it was without form, and the word is uh, tohu or tohu, and it means formlessness, confusion, unreality, or emptiness. You know, we live in reality, but before there was reality, there wasn't reality. It was just God, um, and He was hovering over the deep. And it said um, this word uh, formlessness, uh, nothingness, empty space. Um, wasteland, a uh, place of chaos or vanity. And it says it was void, and the, the word is very similar. It's bohu. So you've got tohu and bohu and, and emptiness. So it's this place that doesn't have any physical form, but also doesn't have any meaning to it. There's nothing there. It's just, you know, it's just emptiness in, in every way imaginable. And yet, before God's presence, somehow this emptiness has some sort of coalescence to it. It's there, it's, it's before Him. Um, uh, you know, he's not in it, he's not surrounded by it, but it's somehow, it's before God, and he's hovering over it, and he's looking at it, and considering it, and it says the Spirit of God here in verse 2, um, and we already see the Trinity, if you didn't get it in verse 1, you're getting it in verse 2, the Spirit of God, uh, the wind, the breath, the mind, the spirit, an inspiring uh, state of prophecy, this word can mean an, an energy of life, uh, as manifest in the Shekinah glory, we see throughout the Old Testament, God's Shekinah glory, uh, in the temple over the Ark of the Covenant, and we see that here. Um, and it's never uh, depersonalized for us. It's not like, uh, you know, God's creative computer was here. It was his spirit um, uh, looking over these things. You know, we see the Trinity involved in creation. The Trinity knew what was, knew what was to come. The Trinity knew all that was going to be and all that was going to happen, and uh, uh, we see that throughout Scripture. But it says to hover. That kind of reminds me of Ezekiel, where in the beginning of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision of basically the throne car of God. It's got the cherubim, and they're all like within wheels, within wheels, and they're hovering and moving. And it's this really crazy-looking picture, you know, um, the spiritual picture of these spiritual beings. Um, but it's moving. 
And it says that uh, in verse 25, Ezekiel 125 to 28, it says, And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads, and when they stood, and when they let down their wings, and above the firmament, so basically they've got these creatures, and they're in the throne, and above them is some sort of solid separating mass. And, you know, like we looked at last week about the crystal sea in heaven, and uh, God's over a firmament right now. And uh, likeness of a, over their heads was a likeness of a throne, and the appearance of sapphire stone upon the likeness of the throne was a likeness of appearance of a man above it. And I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within it, and the appearance of his loins was even upward. And from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw it was the appearance of fire. You know, we see Jesus in Revelation as the appearance of fire, but it says, as a brightness round about, and the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the day of rain, you know, as a rainbow. So was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Think about the Shekinah glory. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and heard a voice of one that spoke. But he talks about this firmament there. He talks about the Shekinah glory there. And we see that um, here as well, that there's this firmament and there's this uh, spirit of God hovering over the waters. You know, we talked about that sea of glass. Again, just thinking, you know, is this all related? Is there uh, a relationship here? But verse says, um, you know, I won't get too deep in that, but let's just think about it. And God said... And God said, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, in the older translation it says, and God said. But let there be no doubt who did this. God said it. You know, that's what God wants us to know right away, that God said. Um, you know, who spoke everything into being? God did. There's no doubt about that. No matter what anyone says, God is the one who did it. He says, let there be light. And I love how we see that in this account of creation that he says let there be light we'll see later let let the earth bring forth seed and let the the sea uh, all the fish and everything like that like he says let it be let it be you know and it means to become come to pass to arise uh, or to appear um you know that there was nothing and god says let there be light and there's light you know like there's nothing preventing it. you know god's preventing things from happening but god's also creating and allowing things to happen we see on the end times, that God prevents the wicked one from appearing. He prevents the final uh, uh, deception of everybody until he takes everyone away. And then he lets it happen. He lets it happen. He doesn't make evil happen. He allows it to happen. In the same way here, he allows things to come into being. You know, if God didn't want light to happen, it never would have happened. But he let it happen, and he spoke it into being. It says that God saw, you know, God saw what he was doing. He knew what he was doing, and he was doing it for no one else. He wasn't doing it for an audience. He wasn't doing it for applause. But he was doing it because he's God. And he was the one alone looking at it and judging it and considering it. You know, no one can judge God for what he does. You know, whatever God does is good. And if we don't think so, well, we're not God. You know, our, our perspective is skewed. Our perspective is very limited. Uh, especially when you consider all the creation and how big creation is and how small we truly are. Um, you know, to say that it's impossible for God to do wrong is not to put a limit on God. You know, that whole argument, well, could God create a rock so big that they can't lift it? Well, God's not physical. But if we were to turn that over to, well, if God can't do wrong, then he must not be all-powerful. Well, that's not the case, because to do evil, to do wrong, is not um, an inability of God. It's an absence of God. It's a, lesson, a lesser of God, you know, because God is perfect. God is complete. God is holy, um, and for him to do evil would be that mean that he is then less than God, um, or not God. 
So here we have light being created. And it's the second thing God does is to create light. The first thing God did was he says he created heavens and the earth. Then we can look at that first verse as sort of like an intro. Like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the scripture kind of digs into it. But I think in a sense that, you know, God created light, but he had to allow this firmament, this emptiness to be there before him. God had to um, allow this blank canvas to be before him to speak light into it um, in a way. I mean, again, we're looking at this from a very limited earthly perspective. But um, uh, but what was it? What was it? It was good. It was good. It was excellent, this word to mean, or rich, or valuable in estimation, appropriate, or becoming. It was prosperous. A good understanding, you know, we think about as the more we learn about the world around us, about molecules and interstellar space and uh, the way the mind works and the body works and the way the ecosystems work. Um, it was good. It, there's a lot into it. When God said, let there be light, and we even just consider something as simple as light to us when you look into it and the way it behaves and what is it really and how is it generated and all these other things and the whole spectrum of light from x-rays gamma rays all the way up to you know visible light and you know all the all in between it's complicated you know it took a lot of knowledge to say that and god didn't have to get into the details he just said light but intrinsically he knew everything that it meant and yet god doesn't say here well he created gamma ray radiation which you won't discover for six thousand years he says let there be light you know it's, it's again for our perspective and our relationship with him yeah those details are interesting to know and gives us a uh, a knowledge and a depth uh, to the complexity of the universe, but it doesn't give us um, a relationship with God. It doesn't give us a relationship with God, but somehow when we hear, let, God said, let there be light, there's a relationship there because somehow it's more on a personal level. You know, sometimes when someone speaks in those deep scientific terms or technological terms or whatever terms they're engrossed in in their day-to-day -day life, you know, some speak to me of cooking. I'd have no idea. You know, the same thing. Um, you know, I think that's why God keeps it simple, that we can be re feel relatable to him and feel that he's approachable in a way, even though we know that there's a, a method for being approached to him. But he wants us to know that, uh, that he doesn't want us to feel um, like we can't listen to him or we can't talk to him. He wants us to speak. He wants to speak to us. But also this word could be moral good, that he saw it, it was good. There wasn't sin involved. There wasn't, it was complete. It was good. Um, you know, a good God creates, and a good God creates good things. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down uh, from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Now when God creates something, it's good. And we know that when things are truly good, they're good from a lot of angles. And God sees every angle when he sees things. He doesn't see just one limited point of view. You know, he's got the he's got the bird's eye view, the God the God level view on things. But it says here that uh, God divided the light from the darkness, and you know, I would think it'd be automatic. You turn on a light, and darkness goes away. But I think that God even has a hand of that. God even has a hand of that. Um, oh, sorry, I guess we didn't read far enough. Uh, let's go on. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. In verse 4, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. But he divided the light from the darkness, that he has a hand in everything, that things need his instruction to behave. You know, there's a saying when you make computers, that garbage in, garbage out, or that, you know, a computer... Um, is very literal. It's only going to do exactly what you tell it to do. And I think that in the same way, 
Creation would have no idea how to operate if God didn't tell it how to operate. But it says that God names them day and night. God names the day, day, the light, light. He names the darkness, night. I think that that's another characteristic of God. In fact, I know that is because that's what the scripture reveals is that God names his creation. You know, none of it is just a number to him or just uh, an object in a sense to him. Uh, you know, he knows the numbers of hairs on your head, but he gave you and me a new name. You know, he doesn't know you as human number eight, 4,000, you know, 17th generation from so-and-so. He knows you as you. And he knows me and me. And he has a new name for us prepared, a special name for us in heaven. I'm only between you, me and him and you and him. Psalm 147.4 says, He counts the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. We can't even count all the stars. And God remembers each of their names. You know, that's, that's hard. You know, I meet a new person. You go, well, I, maybe I met 10 people today. But maybe it's hard to remember their 10 names. And, you know, God knows each of their names. Isaiah 40.26 says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out the host by their number? That's the, the stars. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, no one is missing. God hasn't forgot one of them. Even the black holes, he knows where they are. But God commanded kings not to count the people. And David did it and then brought death to the people. And there had to be repentance and, and dealing there. And, I, and that's because God cares about everyone individually. He's created everyone, but he knows them individually. If he knows the stars' names, how much more does he know uh, you're in my name? You know, because his creation is special. I think that that's an insufficient word. You know, it's good. When God sees it, it's good. You know, it doesn't look on it and God doesn't make anything nonchalantly. You know, sometimes we'll make something and we won't finish it or we'll make it and we don't really care too much about it. But God is, is deeply involved in everything that he creates. But who doesn't care about everyone individually? The enemy doesn't care about everyone individually. You know, socialism, communism, they care about the greater good. The individual is just a part, uh, uh, a means to justify the ends. Um, you know, our republic, at least in America, at least in its true form, cares about individual liberty, not granted by government, but protected by the government, granted by the creator, it says, in the Constitution. And that makes a great society because it was created with the creator in mind uh, by people who at least profess godliness, but because it gave individuals such worth and such value that there were individual rights. There weren't, like, there were states' rights, but they were founded on individual rights. That it started with individual rights, and that led up. And what do we see in dictatorships? It's all about the dictator's rights. And everyone else has to fall in line and give up their own rights for that dictator. And that's not the way God is. God has created us with, um, with value and worth, each individual and ourselves. You know, the Antichrist himself is going to number everyone and make them take his number, his mark. Um, that's in stark opposition to the God who gives names is the one who passes out numbers for everyone. I mean, think about the Jews in the, in the concentration camps. Their names weren't put on their wrist. Their numbers were put on their wrist because they were just another number in line to be uh, murdered. And John says to look uh, for the number of his name. And it shows that whatever the Antichrist is and does is absolutely not of God. Not of God. You know, when God makes, he cares. A good shepherd cares for a sheep. He lays his life down for them. And that applies to everything. You know, everything that, that is good has that picture in it. Parenthood, friendships, relationships, work, being a good employee, being creative. It all has this uh, passionate relationship with it. You know, sometimes we know songs as, oh, it's track five or whatever. <laughs> but in reality, there's a name to it. The creator of the song gave a name to it. 
Um, but it says here, so the evening and the morning were the first day. And, you know, Jewish day ends at sundown. And I kind of like that. You know, it's like Sunday night. You're feeling a little down because it's really the start of Monday. You know, you going to bed on the right time really affects Monday. It doesn't change Sunday. It changes Monday. But let's go on. Let's read verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 says, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And verse 7, Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. It was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Uh, so this is day two here. And I believe here again that he's creating Earth, uh, specifically our planet here. You know, we'll see the creation of the rest of the universe later, which is kind of backwards from some people's thinking. Um, but, you know, we may not be the center of the solar system, but to God, I believe, we're the center of the universe. Maybe we're not geographically the center if you were to chart it out. But in God's mind, he created the Earth because he was going to put us on the Earth. And everything else around it was just to support that and just to uh, reveal him. But to him, his heart and his soul, so to speak, um, are on the creation on the earth. It says that waters were divided. So uh, uh, the sky created was in between. You know, uh, he talks about uh, the water canopy and the flood. We'll look more at that later when we get there. But think about this. Think you've got this sphere and you've got this waters. And God separates the waters above from the waters beneath. And he puts the sky in between it. So you've got this ball, so to speak, at least um, from what I'm gathering here. And in between it um, is the sky, and at the center is more waters. Um, you know, it says that it was, it was so. So when God says it, it happens. You know, there's no doubt about it being what it is and being what it's being. It literally is what it is. You know, saying it is what it is. And when God says it, it is what it is. There's no, like, there's no difference. Whatever he creates... He creates, uh, no matter what uh, the creation thinks it's, uh, of itself. Uh, you know, even the rocks know what they are. They know the rocks, but on Luke 19.40, when Jesus was the triumphal entry, and they questioned him and wanted him to get the people to stop praising him, he said, I, will, I tell you that these, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. The stones know who made them. The stones aren't sentient beings, but if God's higher creation stopped proclaiming his name, uh, even creation would cry out. Um, you know, he created the firmament here. Um, uh, the ex extended surface, this solid surface, this expanse, this firmament, um, flat as a base or support, a vault between supporting waters above that there is this sky there that separated everything. Um, you know, considered by the Hebrews as solid and supporting waters above, solid matter and earth. Um, Sorry, my page is a little so it's hard to keep track of where I'm at in the Bible. Um, but uh, a solid matter in earth, you know, is dividing the water, the liquid matter, transitory material. Solid matter doesn't change state. You know, liquid is movable, mixable, uh, changes the gas when it's heated. Um, and then that even further changes the plasma that all these reactions can occur. But generally when something is solid, uh, a reaction is not really going to occur with it. Um, you know, it's just sitting there. Um, but when something's gaseous, it's moving, it's, it's ready to go. And that's what this solid thing here. So think of this again, um, you know, talk to James, if you want to know more about that, but, you know, we think of this like everlasting gobstopper. We've got, uh, this waters above, we've got sky as the next layer in, we've got solid ground as the next layer, and then waters underneath that, 
You know, we see later the fountains of the deep break open in a flood, that oceans under the crust are even discovered today that they didn't know how to explain. I guess it was, um, I don't know if I remember correctly, but some sort of gravitational issues, and they found that there's certain uh, oceans under the surface that they didn't know were there. Um, and it's all like the Bible told us thousands of years ago. But there's three heavens, you know, and I believe here that we're talking about the sky here, the first heaven. You know, we've got the sky, we've got the universe, and then we've got spiritual heaven, the three heavens. Uh, but verse 9 and 10 say, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And so, and it was so. Uh, so it uncovers the land. And verse 10 says, And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Uh, you see, the waters gathered into one place under heaven on the land to collect, to bind together. But I think it's interesting this word gathered also mean to wait to hope, expect, that even creation began to wait and hope and expect to what God was going to do next, what God was going to create next, and ultimately uh, uh, his uh, redemption plan. But dry ground appears. You know, people in the world will teach about uh, Pangaea or Pangaea, you know, what they think was this ancient continent. All the continents drifted apart, and before they all drifted together and made one big continent. You know, and I'm totally for the possibility of one continent before the flood. I'm not, I'm not opposed to necessarily that idea. We'll read later in Scripture. We see that the land, the earth was divided, and we see the flood. You know, a lot happens when the flood broke open. Um, but I don't believe it was like the way they said it was, some long, slow process. I believe it happened in the flood, and it was a quick process. And we'll talk more about that later. But God says it here, that water gathered into one sea. And technically, there's still one big ocean. You know, we just have created names for them. If you look on the earth, it's not like there's a strip of land that goes around the entire circumference of the earth and develops into two seas. It's really one big body of water that ebbs and flows around the whole planet. And we just kind of divide it that way. Um, you know, there was this uh, guy called Kent Hovind. He said some very interesting things. You know, he committed tax fraud, so that obviously something's a little off there. But he said some interesting things, uh, especially about creation and some interesting theories to take to heart. But he would say that people would ask him, you know, Mr. Hoven, do you believe that all the continents were at one time connected? And he goes, yes, I believe they're still connected. Under the water is dirt. <laughs> you know, like they really are. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's plates and there's movement, but it's still just it's still just the solid crust. And there's water above it. You know, there's one large crust with one large water on it, but the high points stick out. You know, did things certainly look different at the time of creation? Absolutely, things look different. Um, you know, I lean the direction that there's more water on the surface now based on the rest of what God tells us in Genesis and with the flood. But God calls them earth, and he calls them seas, and that's what we have today. We have one big sea, and we call them different regions. Um, but basically, the point is God created the sea. God, you know, the other scripture talks about God giving the sea its boundaries. And we see that, that God's giving the sea its boundaries. And what that is, that's the sea level. Sea only goes so high, and people are so worried about the sea levels rising today. You don't need to be worried about the sea levels rising. And if you do, just move inland a little bit. <laughs> you know, there'll be a new beach. It'll just be further back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're just going to, people who are upset are just the rich people who own the beachfront property. Let's go on. Verse 11 says, uh, you know, again, before that, let's just remind her, God said it was good. God called dry land together, waters called seas, and God saw again that it was good. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, 
the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So this is the third day. Uh, first day, God creates uh, everything in light. Second day, he creates uh, uh, the skies and the ground and the, the seas. And the third day, he puts plants on the ground. Um, it says, let the earth bring forth. Again, let, the, let it happen. You know, like in God's presence, of course it wants to bring forth life. Of course it's desires to do this. It's expectant. It's hopeful. You know, I'm personifying a little bit there, but I think that in a sense it's like, God's creation is, is, it's alive and it's, it's ready. And God uh, brings forth grass, herbs, seeds, trees, all plants God creates on this day. You know, in high school, I remember, I wasn't a believer. I grew up in church and, um, you know, I remember creation story. But I remember when I was learning about evolution um, in a biology class sophomore year, I wasn't a Christian by any stretch of imagination. But I remember them only teaching me about animal evolution. They never taught me about how plants evolved. And I'd be like, well, what about plant evolution? There's two types of cells. There's plant cells and animal cells. Maybe some scientists today could tell me what they believe about it. But my teacher would just kind of go blank and not answer my question. And I would get upset. Like, at least just say, hey, we're not, gonna, we're, not, we're not covering that in this class. At least give me an answer. But she wouldn't give me an answer at all. And I'm like, you, got, you know, obviously, you know, you're just regurgitating something here. Um, but he says... All according to its kind. God created different kinds, and they always make another kind of its own kind. It always, you know, when you have a baby, it's always a human baby. You know, if it comes out, it's not a human baby. You're probably watching a movie <laughs> about aliens or something. Uh, but that's it. He created plants, and that's, that's it. He made them all. Covered the earth with them. Uh, verse 14 says, Then God said, this is now the fourth day, uh, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens and to give light in the earth. And it was so. Um, so day four is still going on. But he says that, uh, you know, we see that plant matter was created before the sun, the moon and the stars. It's not what evolution is and Big Bang Theory people are going are gonna to tell you. There's no reconciliation here. You know, people try and reconcile evolution with creation and the Big Bang with creation, and you cannot do it. It's not one for one. It's not, oh, we figured out how God did it. Um, it's a lie. It's trying to tell us how it could have happened without God, and so they need billions of years to explain it because that time is basically, billions of years is like infinite time. It gets longer and longer because for something impossible to happen, on its own, it's got to have an impossible amount of time for it to happen because it's not going to happen. You know, uh, I remember trying to, I've tried to reconcile this throughout high school when I wasn't a believer. I tried to reconcile it throughout college. After getting saved, I tried to reconcile it because I, I'm very interested in science. I was very interested in space. All these theories interested me, but it never quite made sense, you know. Um, and yet, as I came to faith, God began to reveal to me that they're not true. And it doesn't matter what people think because God did it and God created it. And God saved me and I believe that God saved me. Why wouldn't I believe what God has told me about creation? Would he lie about this and not about something else? No, I wouldn't want to believe in a God like that. And, and look at how the world, uh, how the enemy tries to undermine people's faith with quote-unquote scientific theory. 
they can't prove it. It keeps changing all the time. Everyone has different theories, and now they're getting to a point where they realize, oh, well, that's the story. The origin of life probably doesn't make sense. We we're probably seeded by aliens. It's like it's always they're always trying to figure it out that a you know if if God doesn't exist, they're scratching their heads. You know, but what do I believe? I believe God. You know, because for my faith, the simpler the answer, the deeper the truth. Uh, the more edified and grounded reality I am. When I try and get this complicated answer, I don't feel secure. But when when I come to terms with a simple answer, the true answer, uh, the truth is usually very simple. It's usually very straightforward. And as the Bible puts it, God said, and so I believe. But God even gives purpose to the stars. You know, everything he creates has a purpose, has a reason. He says they're for night and day, calendars, seasons and signs. And who's that for? Is that for other stars? Is that for the plants? No, he knew that on day six, he was going to create man. He made the stars for us to use. You know, I'm Jacob today in the car. I remember he said, Daddy, I see the moon. But it was the sun behind the clouds. You know, our kids love seeing the moon, stars, and sun. It's really interesting to look up at them. It's amazing to see them up there. They're, wow, it's pretty amazing. What is that? Um, you know, creation is amazing, you know. Uh, theories about the original Hebrew. You know, not the Babylonian zodiac that people use today. Uh, but the original Hebrew uh, constellations that they preach the gospel. You know, there's a lot of things we can look up on that. You know, again, it's, you know, extracurricular. I don't think it's important to our faith, but I think it'd be interesting to see that. Why wouldn't God use that? You know, uh, he used the star when Jesus was born to grab the wise men from the east. Wise men from the east were looking to the heavens, and they realized, wow, God spoke to them and said, there's, this is the Messiah. You know, maybe that was in their religions. Maybe that's what God was using, and he brought them to Jesus through it. You know, there's software to track star positions through time. You can go back and see where constellations were 2,000 years ago. You get apps on your phone like SkyMap, so you can look up and see what exactly constellations you're looking for. Um, tell you everything is, you know. But can we honestly look up to the stars and say there is no God? Can you honestly say that? And people who honestly, well, honestly, they tell you to be honestly, but when, they, when the unbelievers, they look to the stars, because they've already denied God, they come up with another reason. They, they know that there's no way we could be alone. There's no, they know when they look at the universe that there's no possible way we're alone. And that's the truth. We're not alone. We're alone in creation, but we're not alone in the universe. There's God. There's angels. God made it. And when they begin to deny God, they look up and their view is corrupted. And they say, oh, well, there's got to be aliens out there. But even then, you know, even people who believe in aliens now are starting to say, well, who created the aliens? You know, like, obviously, just because there's an... Even if there was another life form, I don't believe there are. But even if there was another life created in the heavens, God only says he's creating life on earth here. Even if there was, well, who do they? Well, evolution. But we already know that from our own experience, well, that couldn't have just happened on its own. Even evolutionists are starting to think of a seed theory. But anyway, believe me, we're alone in creation because God tells us that. Um, and if for some reason he created somewhere somewhere else, it would stink for them because we sinned and screwed it up. All right, you know, like we are alone in creation, but I'd bet my life that if if there is any being out there that comes to Earth and that we get in touch with, that they're not another creation, that they're a spiritual being, a fallen angel. Because God says we're not alone. We got Him. We've got the angels and the other heaven. And uh, you know, you begin to look at the way all these. UFOs and all the things that are related to them are, it's, it's clearly evil. It's clearly, like the Bible says in the last days, there'll be lying signs and wonders. Um, what's going on? You know, looking up in heaven just awes me. You know, just take a moment. Every once in a while, look up at the sky. 
slow down. Sometimes when I'm coming out of the garage after bringing the trash out or doing something in there, I'll come out at night. I'll just stand there for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever, and just consider it and look at it. You know, thank God for it or talk to God for a second because it really it really helps to put things into perspective, to slow down. You know, we get so caught up in our day-to-day life and then sometimes just slow down and look around and realize, you know, my problems aren't that, aren't that big a deal to God. Uh, verse 16 says, Then God, this is still day four, made two great lights, the greater light, that's the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, that's the moon, to rule the night. Uh, you know, we know that the moon just reflects the sun. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness as God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. We see that now God creates the stars. God created light in and of itself, but he didn't create the stars yet. We see that here. Again, God created the earth. God created plants. God created other things. We see that the new heavens and the new earth, we don't need the sun because God himself is the light. And, uh, you know, everything could exist without those things. So God makes them, but then it says he sets them in the firmament. It's not like he made them over here. It's almost like he had like his little star workshop, and then he began to place them where he wanted to, the sun and the moon. You know, God begins to create uh, the solar system uh, here. You know, and it's amazing when you consider the way the solar system works. We all the planets are orbiting, but even then the order of the planets, we have the rocky planets, asteroid belt, and the gas giants. The way all these gravities work together, the way the sun, radiation comes out from the sun, but the earth has the magnetic field around it to shield us from the magnetic radiation. We see the northern lights, but then also things like Jupiter and the gravity of Jupiter pulls in comets and asteroids and everything all the time. Uh, that would uh, certainly affect other planets, if not us. Um, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing the way it all works. That was designed, you know. Can't make that up. Can't make that up. Yeah, they're looking for other planets, habitable planets and other stars. And I have no doubt that there's other planets and other things. There's other planets in our own solar system. But none of them have life. None of them are created. You know, even if they find one with other conditions, I don't believe they're going to find life on it. Um, let's go on. Verse 20 through 23. So God created the sun and the moon and the stars, and he placed them in there. And verse 20 says, And God said, Let the waters... This is day five. Abound with the abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Uh, so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves which with which the waters abounded according to their kind. Again, always according to its kind. You know, we didn't come up out of the oceans. He created specific sea creatures and specific birds at the same time um, with which the waters abound according to their kind. Every winged bird according to its kind. You know, God created every kind. People will say, oh, well, God started it all and then evolution took over. No, God created this one. God created that one. And he did it. And God saw that it um, was good. Again, we see that God saw that it was good. Verse 22, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. You know, God blessed them. And uh, he, he speaks to the animals here, but he says, be fruitful and multiply. And Phil, he gives them instructions for how to live. And we see that in animals' instincts. They naturally want to have babies. They naturally have their little families. Whether they stay with each other forever or not, it's a different story. But they naturally procreate. You know, animals generally, that's what they're going to do. They don't not. They don't, generally don't choose not to. As a whole, they choose to. And they multiply and they continue throughout all the earth. And, and animals have been obedient to that. You know, animals didn't just stop breeding one day. You know, because they wanted to do their job, they 
keep breeding, and that's their life. And they eat, and they breed, and they continue on. Um, but God bless them. You know, I think that, uh, you know, again, uh, sea creatures, you know, they bring forth abundantly. The word is swarm, team, or multiply. Uh, but uh, they were in the firmament of the sky, just like God placed the stars in the firmament of the heavens. You know, in a sense, like, they stay there. Like, obviously, they have movements and orbits, and there's motion and stuff. But they're not, you know, they're not all just falling out of the sky. They have a place. There's some firmament that they're hanging in. Um, and the same thing with birds. You know, there's a there's a firmament to air. You know, it doesn't look like anything's there. But you start, the wind blows, you feel it, or you drive in your car, put your hand out. That's pretty firm, you know. There's spacecraft have heat shielding because when they come back into the atmosphere, it's it hits the craft so hard it wants to light the craft on fire because of friction. You know, that there's a firmament there. Um but why did God bless them? You know, healthy animal populations are a blessing from God. God cares about the animals. Not in the same way as you and me, but it's the principle of life. You know, God is life, and the things he creates are going to bring forth life. They're always going to bring forth life. They're always, you know, God wants animals to be healthy. He feeds them, the scripture says. Um, you know, it's life. It's a good thing. Life is a good thing. Uh, verse 24 and 25. This is uh, day six now. And God said, let the earth... Bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth. Yeah, I wish that verse wasn't there. There wouldn't be any bugs or spiders or anything. Um, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Really? <laughs> well, if God says that they're good, they're good. And we think about that. We think about spiders and insects. You know, spiders, although they're creepy and they might bite us, um, that's our fault. We sinned. But uh, sincerely, if spiders weren't there to eat all the other flies, things would get overgrown. We see the way even a fallen world works where vultures eat uh, dead things and, you know, bugs and worms eat up dead things too, you know, and turn it back into soil. You know, there's a whole process there, even in a fallen world. Um, uh, that's the case. But again, this is this is the earth's turn, you know. We see cattle, we see beasts, you know, wild animals, deer, you know, cow, everything. And it was made, again, so simple. And it was so. You know, there's no there's no need for worry here, you know. God says that they come to be, and they come to be. But it was so. It's very, you know, very simple when we think about it. This very complicated thing is very simple when we see it from God's point of view. And again, all according to its kind. You know, God had a specific design for each kind. And now, I, I definitely believe that there's... Uh, Changes within a kind, that's obvious. Look at frogs. Look at how many different types of frogs there are. Look at dogs. You know, you got dogs, wolves, coyotes, foxes, dingoes, you know. But they're all a type of dog. You know, they're all part of a larger kind. Um, and that's the same thing, you know. Um, you know, but even in humanity, there's differences. It's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. You know, the uh, uh, difference between uh, monkey DNA and human DNA is a large percentage. You know, it's several percent. You know, because it's a different kind. But for you and me or someone from Africa or Asia or Indochina or whatever, the percentage is like a fraction of a percent. And they're all very vain changes. Oh, a different color of skin. Oh, a different color of hair. You know, oh, a little bit taller. Oh, your nose a little bigger, a little smaller, whatever the case may be. But we're all people. We're all that, you know, if, if I get sick and die and give my organs to someone else, they'll be, you know, it's obviously the rejection and everything. But as a whole, it's... They're going to work because we're, this, we're all people. You know, there's no race. There's one race. It's the human race. Um, we're people. Um, and we're all made in God's image. And 
and that diversity of that rainbow of colors and people uh, in their appearance is a, is a beautiful thing. And the, the Bible talks about in heaven, there's going to be every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. That, you know, there's, there's not a master race. There's just the human race. You know, but talk about a lie that people came from a monkey. That's, uh, that's offensive, you know. And you, you look at the way kids act in school and the way the world is going. It's because there's no, there's no hope for them. They're just taught that they're just a dumb animal and that there's no value to them. You know, there's terms about microevolution. You know, I hate that term. That's the term of creatures within a kind becoming a different, like, you know, uh, I guess a speciation or something, but, you know, frogs move to a different climate or something. And, you know, maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not the case. You know, there's certain things you can you can watch, but it always becomes a frog. It never becomes uh, something else. And yet, uh, the world has weaved this term evolution throughout everything it says and does is day to bring to try and bring some validity to a theory that's false, you know, uh, it'll uh, never, you know, uh, a dog will never become a cat, you know, I know that's not the order they teach, but sincerely, you know, there's no missing link, there is no link, other than God created uh, different kinds, but God saw each one of the kinds that he made after their own kind, and he said that it was good, and, you know, the day wasn't over yet, you know, maybe the animals were just before lunch and the people were after lunch. You know, I tend to, in my job, tend to enjoy the stuff I do after lunch better. I get the stuff, the grunt work done in the morning, and then I can I feel a little more creative in the afternoon. And maybe that's the sign of God or not. I don't know. But uh, let's go on. Verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Um, but, you know, if you had any doubt about the Trinity, here you go. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You know, there's a, a multiple uh, triune God going on here. You know, he says, let them, a larger scale here. Um, you know, we'll get specifically into Adam and Eve later. He just talks about people in general here. Uh, he's talking about Adam and Eve, but he's, you know, there's not, this isn't the personal account. This is sort of the, the top down ABC account. Uh, but God knew what he was doing when he created man. He always knew that Adam wouldn't be the only guy around forever. He knew that Adam would need an Eve. Uh, and the word man is Adam. That's where we get the name Adam. Um, you know, but it says his image, it's the image of God, the likeness of God. Um, you know, uh, resemblance. Um, and it's also a word that could be used for the false gods spoken about in the Old Testament. But I think that that's part of one reason why God hates idolatry. Not only is it a, a false res- representation of him and it takes away from him, but God already created an image of God in us. Not that we're to worship each other, but when we look at each other, we should see that, wow, God made you and me, and God put his likeness on you and me, um, maybe slightly physically, but more uh, it's, it's deeper than that, uh, you know, with our mind and our heart and our soul and our spirit, um, that we have a, a, a physical thing. You know, uh, in Matthew 22, it says, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets that that in loving God we're to love each other because we're created in the image of God. 
And he gives them dominion over creation. I think that that's another image of God being the king over all. That there are heavenly creatures, no animals, but angels. But he gives them dominion over creation. You know, I think that that's another image of God being the king over all. Is that just like God is king over everything and over spiritual creatures, he's given us uh, dominion over physical creatures, over the creatures on the earth. Um, and we're to use them for our benefit. Uh, but he says, male and female, he created them. You know, this cult that we've encountered around here, going around saying, oh, well, there has to be a mother of God. You know, well, there's, because he created male and female, there's got to be a mother of God. Well, it, first of all, why has he got to be his mother? Why can't it be a sister or anything like that? To, but it's not, because it's it's really ancient Babylonian queen of heaven being rewrapped in another thing. And it's looking at one verse, taking it out of context, looking at it uh, in, a, in the way that you want to look at it. Uh, you know, God has no mother. God is not female. You know, the female human form, um, uh, in accompaniment with the male form, gives a complete picture of God. You know, Adam wasn't complete, but God is complete. And woman is not lesser than man. Woman is uh, made for man. And woman is a complement to man, and man is a complement to woman. That they're neither are complete without each other. Um, uh, neither is a complete picture of God. But together, they're a complete picture of God, like Christ and the church, his bride. Let's go on. Let's read the last few verses here as we close out. Uh, and God blessed them, verse 28. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every green herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every green tree whose fruit yields seed to it, you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, to which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. You know, to, to man and woman, God blesses them, and he speaks to them. You know, um, to, to have dominion over the earth. He speaks to the animals, but he just tells them to multiply. But to man, he gives specific instructions over who they are to be. Not only to, to multiply but also uh, what their role is, what their purpose is. You know, to animals, he doesn't give a purpose, but to people, he gives a purpose. And again, the purpose in the, in the stars was for people, for signs and seasons, for God to communicate to people in a way. Um, and the same thing with animals, he gives them purpose. And plants, the purpose of the plants was to feed everybody uh, before the fall. Uh, he blesses us and he speaks to us to fill the earth, to spread out. Uh, uh, we'll see in Babel that people don't do that. And that's why God comes down, because they're disobeying what God told them to do. Um, to subdue the earth. You know, we're not to subdue ourselves to the desires of the earth. You know, that's modern man and the spirit of the Antichrist in the world says that we need to reduce human population. No. The earth is here for us. We're to fill the earth. And grant, if anyone's, you know, looked around, the earth's not full. The city's full. That's where these theories come out of, but not the country. The country's not full. There's plenty of land. Um, uh, subdue the earth. You know, not that we're to trash the planet, but it's ours to use in the best way possible. It gives every green herb to eat. Um, you know, blood or animal death didn't happen yet. That's a result of sin. That's why we're not to eat animals yet. You know, man uh, is a vegetarian at the start. You know, obviously there was a greenhouse. There were bigger vegetables. They had everything we need. Um, and 
that was what was important. You know, nowadays you don't, you can't get everything you need from the stuff that grows. But this was a perfect world, a perfect atmosphere. Um, what about the creatures with large teeth? What about carnivores? Well, if you look at certain animals, like I believe it's like the fruit bat, they look like you look at a picture of their mouth, you say, "Oh, they have to eat meat." No, they eat fruit. You know, there's all these things that that work in that way. Um, again, sin affects all of creation. Sin is the reason uh, animals are skittish of us. The reason they eat each other, they fight, because all creation groans under the weight of sin. You know, physical life is, is common to us all, but only man has spiritual life. Um, you know, because God as a spiritual being speaks to other spiritual beings. He speaks to the animals, but he doesn't tell them anything deep. To us, he gives us a purpose. And we'll see later, Adam and Eve in the garden, he speaks to them. You know, not that we can't talk to animals in a way, like we talk to pets and, and things, uh, but it's not the same. You know, they're working on software to talk to dolphins in a way, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, you know, they've got them to use like an underwater keyboard and everything uh, to, to convey concepts. But there's nev never going to be a spiritual conversation there. Even we see in the Bible when God opens the mouth of Balaam's donkey in Numbers 22, the donkey doesn't tell him that there's angels in the road. He just goes, hey, don't you know me? I've never hurt you on purpose. <laughs> you know, and that's when God uses it to, to open his eyes to the spiritual situation. You know, God may use them. Uh, God, Jesus rode in on a donkey as a picture, and we see pictures like that in the scripture, but God never uses an animal in a spiritual way other than for sacrifice. Uh, and that, again, was just a picture of Jesus. You know, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And indeed, it was very good, and, and that's the end of the sixth day. But can we see that, say that everything in our life is indeed very good? Can we look at the things in our life and go, indeed, that's very good? You know, is there life in our life? Is there a real life, that abundant life that Jesus talks about? You know, has God spoken the things in our life to be? Or are we trying to conjure them up? Are we trying to make it happen? Or is the things in our life something that God has dictated? And I would say, you know, let, let the word, let his word to you dictate your life. What you do physically, mentally, how you react emotionally, uh, or what you do for a job vocationally. But most importantly, let God's word speak to you spiritually. Let your spiritual life lead the physical life. Just like God spiritually spoke to them, this is your purpose in life. This is what you're to do physically in your life. And that was also the punishment, as we'll see later. The spiritual punishment worked out, um, or consequence worked out physically. But let your spiritual life lead your physical life, and not the other way around. When we try and let the physical life determine our spiritual life, it gets all messed up. Like That's exactly what the theory of evolution is. It's trying to let our physical interpretation of physical things... Oh, it had to have happened. In my mind, it had to have happened this way because this couldn't have happened without this and this couldn't have happened without this. And it ends up leading to a spiritual life that's dead. It ends up leading to a physical life that's dead where life doesn't matter at all. And that's not the way God had designed it. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for making us and creating us. We ask just for life by your spirit, that you fill us with your spirit, you bless our kids and our home and our family and our country. But God, let life come out of your word. Let us be led by your word and let your word dictate our lives in every possible way. We ask God in Jesus' name. Amen.